and welcome to the uh, 17th episode of the DOS Game Club podcast. Uh, I'm Martijn, Tijn on the forums. And in April, we have been playing uh, Starflight, which is, uh, well, it's a, it's a space game, isn't it? It's, it's in the name a bit. <laughs> uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. Now, of course, I'm not going to do that all by myself. Uh, actually, we're, we're with a big group here. So um, let's dive straight into that. Uh, and, well, of course, uh, our regular co-host Florian is here with us. Hey, guys. And also joining us is Richard again. Hello. And also Josh has decided to join again. Hello. Hello. And also newly joining us is uh, Tyler. Greetings. Happy to be here. Yeah. And it's Tyler who actually uh, suggested that we play this game. So I'm really excited that you could join us. And it's cool to have new members anyway. So yeah, this is great. Um, Yeah, I think we should just... Go straight in, right? Let's let's talk about Starflight. My body is ready. start this off Tyler uh, we I, I quickly mentioned this but you were the one uh, suggesting that we play this game so presumably this is because you've played it before this is correct uh, I played it uh, I was probably I don't know six or so when my dad got it on computer then you know that's when you're at a pretty impressionable oh. age you know taking it all in and Definitely. And my dad yeah. did play a couple other computer games, you know, like we played uh, Heroes Quest and Space Quest. Oh. And uh, I remember his reaction to Starflight, like he's talking with these aliens and stuff. And like it was completely different than any other game that we'd ever played. You know what I mean? Like where it felt like you're really like conversing with these creatures that would, you know, respond differently to you at different times. Like. I remember him like running and like getting my mom from the kitchen to like come and look at this, look at <laughs> look at how crazy this is. Like this bug is talking. Wow. And, uh, and so of course at that age, you know, I have no idea what's really going on. And every time he comes in contact with an alien, I'm you know shoot shoot him, shoot the alien. <laughs> and of course that's not at all what the game is about. And uh, so honestly, as a kid, I kind of didn't really like watching him play that game as much because it was all going over my head. Mm. But as I got older, I, you know, you know, you kind of idolize sometimes, uh, you know, stuff that your dad mm. likes or whatever. And I just kind of remembered him liking this game so much. And I wanted to go back and kind of experience it for myself. So I've periodically gone back uh, over my lifetime and reinstall it and give it a play now and then and dredge up those fine memories. 
that's awesome. That's uh, that's super cool. Um, and and this is also, I mean, this is a pretty old game, right? I mean, it came out originally in '86, I think. Yep. Uh, is that also when you played it, or when your dad got it? Uh, I it would have been either that. I'm, I was born in '81, so to put that time frame is yeah, it was probably like he probably got it the year it came out, or the year after. And uh, right. So yeah, I was there at the at the launch. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. And, and did you also play it on a on a PC? Because I think there was also a Tandy release. I played it on the Tandy. We had a Tandy one thousand. Ah. But that's the same. Cool. That's the same release, isn't it? I mean, yeah, those games run on Tendi and vice versa. Yeah, I I believe there was no uh, differences at all in the game. Mm. Yeah, it it also came on the same disc. I think it's just the same. Everything is the same, really. Yeah, the only other uh, real different version is the Sega Genesis version, which didn't come out until much, much, much later. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk some more about the different versions and releases later on, I suppose. But yeah. So you just played the original boxed uh, copy, yeah, of just how it was intended to be at first. Yep. Um, yeah, super, super mm. cool. Um, did anyone else also play it before? I don't think so. No, no. I, I no. <laughs> I hadn't even heard of this game, to be honest. <laughs> no, me neither. It was the first time in our um, suggestion forum that I even heard about the game. Yeah. Uh, had any of you guys heard of it? Um, I had heard of it, just okay. As a fan of sci-fi generally, I just kind of knew that it existed, hmm. but I'd never actually tried to play it. Okay. And Richard? Yeah, I remember seeing it back about the end of the eighties. I didn't get into the PC quite early enough for it to have been out at the time, but I remember seeing it in the Tandy catalogs. If anyone remembers them, I don't. But I, I, I totally believe that those were a thing, but. I, you know, growing up, I never even knew what a Tendi was. I just knew it from the setup menu where you could choose it as one of the options. Yeah. That's the only... Same. I, I had no idea what a Tendi even was until much later. They were not available in Europe, weren't they? I don't know. I think they were purely American thing, as far as I'm aware, at least. No idea. Yeah, I've... Uh, Nobody knows. <laughs> I don't really know, but it seems like in America we kind of had the Tandys in... Uh... Over in Europe, uh, where like all the Amiga stuff was, like I don't know anybody that had an Amiga growing up. Ah, my my neighbor had a, an Amiga, so he was always yeah boasting on how it was better, and I was always yeah I don't know I was a kid, what could I do? I had no money. Yeah, you just go home and say he's lying. Yeah, <laughs> it's not as cool as mine. It's like the old uh, Nintendo versus Sega wars. Yeah, yours yeah. was cooler no matter what. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, so, Richard, you you had heard of it then in the Tandy magazine? Yeah, I remember. Um, the only thing I remember about the advert is it said how many man years or whatever it took to make the game, and it really it's kind of figure sort of stuck with me as a kid for some reason. It is it is pretty prominently mentioned on the box, isn't it? That it's it's apparently it took fifteen man years to make this game. It's, yeah, because uh... when this came out, I'd have had a set of Spectrum, and those games were knocked off in about three or four weeks, I think, as a rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but early video games were were tiny, also. I mean, compared to now, but also compared to Starflight. Yeah, those games were just 
one screen and one thing happened and that's the whole game games like pac-man or frogger or or you know stuff like that they didn't have this whole narrative and and different things you could discover and characters and everything so i guess this is what makes starflight pretty special and probably also what impressed your dad tyler oh yeah he was uh just quite taken by it in terms of is just totally different and you know more uh in depth you know than anything you'd ever seen before yeah so maybe we should quickly uh explain a bit to the listener what starflight actually is uh we don't have to go in depth right right away but just what what sort of game is it what's how does it work what what are you actually doing well i would kind of classify it as just like a Base adventure with, you know, kind of light RPG mechanics, like spaceship adventure. I don't know. It's kind of genre bending in ways. Hmm. Anyone else? Any ideas on what 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 is the genre? If if there is a genre, I think it's kind of like a like a sort of a, a story based adventure game, but also kind of like a space oriented uh, mystery discovery game. Hmm. Because it's not like you're really following a plot; you're more like following clues, right? But you're, but you're also picking up like you're you're picking up artifacts, so it could also be classified as at mm-hmm. least a, somewhat like as an RPG, maybe. Yeah, it's because to me, at least the beginning of the game feels a lot like an RPG. You power or you level up your um, your crew, you get some mm-hmm. um, tech for your ship, and yeah. That, that feels very much like an RPG to me. But if I'm really honest, I didn't play much beyond that point. Yeah, it's it seems to have a few aspects from different genres, indeed, because there is a there's a plot going on, there's a narrative going on, but there's also this element of survival and and upgrading your stuff and and making money and just keeping yourself afloat in order to be able to explore more. Yeah, it actually it reminded me a lot of Transarctica. Yeah, in hindsight. Yeah, that's we played that in February, uh, and we also talked about how it has a bit of a vague genre. Uh, and now, actually, this game pretty similar to that in in a in a way. It's not it's not overly similar, but it has uh, some of the same yeah aspects to it. So um, yeah, you start the game. It's it's a space game, and you start the game in this starport, right? So it's it's basically uh, you're in the starport, and you are given a ship, I think, and some money, and then you can hire some crew and and just go. Is that it? Yeah. Uh, what I kind of find appealing at the start of the game is they you don't really know that you're going on any kind of quest. Like you're just kind of get this briefing and told to like go and fly around, mm-hmm. and then. You just hire your crew that has uh, the different aliens, of course, humans, uh, the droids, which I always really wanted an android, but <laughs> as a gamer, I could never take them because you can't upgrade them. But I know we all wanted our own Lieutenant Data. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, you got to buy the ship upgrades. Like, you can really screw yourself early, I think, if you spend money on the wrong things. Hmm. But at the same time, you can uh, you can mine from the local systems enough to kind of get back on your feet if you frivolously spend, you know, like, you know, people want to be defensive. I think, you know, like, I don't want, I don't want to fly out there and get blown up. I'm going to buy some expensive shields. And then 
Yeah. You know, to yeah. even kind of get over to the alien territories, well, you're going to need to upgrade your engines and farm some money for some fuel, et cetera. So, hmm. yeah, it seems, I, I think this is somewhat common in these very old games is that it seems you, you have to know quite a lot about the game before you can be successful. Yeah. So you can't really just go out and, and make it up as you go along. It's actually probably better to play it over and over and then learn more about how things work and then apply that in the next round. So just try again and then do it right from the start. Yep. Yeah. So, um, Tyler, you, you posted a, a thread on the forums showing your um, the box art that, well, I, I guess it's your dad's. Uh, yeah. Cop- yeah. Yep, our original copy from the 80s. <laughs> I still carry it with me. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of yours now, I think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's mine now, but I think I kind of typed it up in the forums. Yeah. They're like, I'll always kind of consider it his copy. I feel like I'm just the just the holder of it now, the the keeper of the copy. But uh, <laughs> is this, this going to be a family heirloom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Behold, God, grandchildren. Man, my my wife and I are like kind of flip flopping back and forth on kids right now. But if if it falls on that side, you can bet it's going to be like an inheritance <laughs> thing, like. You're six years old. Your time of passage has come. Let us sit together. <laughs> so maybe you can tell us uh, what's actually in the box or, or what it looks like, because it's it's quite beautiful. I think it, it's uh, it's a yeah. cool set. Yeah, it's it actually it kind of looks like a box that you would maybe think like a vinyl record would come in, which is kind of an unusual PC box, like you know, tall mm. and skinny and flat, and uh, hmm. and it opens up in a three way. Uh, you know, so it opens up to a big uh, kind of skyscape where it says the making of Starflight, and it gives little blurbs where it talks about the production and stuff. And uh, yeah, just they, uh, just about the making of the game, like the dream about how they wanted to create it, and they got together with Electronic Arts, and they kind of knew they were going to need to make new technology. And the next section is the cutting room floor where they talk about, you know, making systems for the game and then deciding, you know, discovering a new better way to code something else and scrapping their systems. And because when the game was originally designed, they wanted to have, they planned to have like 50 systems in the game. And then they kind of discovered this new way to procedurally generate the worlds and stuff when you landed on them. And it made it, uh, they, yeah, to 800 planets in the game. From fifty to eight hundred. Wow! So yeah, that was definitely a good discovery. Yeah, it's uh, because there's this is also where the the fifteen man year quote is mentioned, right? This is yeah. I think they made a lot out of this. Yep. I think the marketing strategy is that that they put a lot of effort into this game and they want to communicate this fact that this is not just something that's thrown together. This is really, this is really something. You know, this this game. A lot, a lot of effort went into it. Yeah, they decided to take a real undertaking here, as opposed to just you know, yeah, making another Galaga. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So yeah, there's a cool. It's cool. You mentioned it's like a vinyl record because there's also a photo, I think, of the team. Yeah, and they're all wearing these uh, space overalls. Yeah, yeah. It is a bit like a band photo, I suppose. It's like <laughs> yeah, th- these are the guys. 
And it's just five guys, too. I uh, say so it can't be a band photo because there's not one guy staring off into the distance <laughs> in the side. Like, they're all kind of looking at the camera. Yeah. Is, there a, is there a brick wall in the background? I think no. that's what you need to check. Mm. Oh, no. It looks like they're standing inside, like, a space shuttle, uh, you know, cockpit type thing. So yeah. no, no brick wall, no band photo. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, it's, it's just five guys, right? Yes. So the... Um, The, the, the 15 man year thing, what it actually means is they, they were five guys and they worked on it for three years. That's what they're saying. Yep. Yeah. So that's, yeah, maybe, maybe it's not as impressive now as it was back then, because nowadays yeah, right. working on a game for three years, that seems, yeah, like something that happens, you know? Well, just imagine like the release of World of Warcraft, right? They'd be like, 10 billion man hours, right? <laughs> yeah, like exactly. man years, like because they have hundreds of developers working, you know, five years. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I suppose for the time when games were generally quite small and, and yeah, just these tiny things, then, then working on it with five guys for three years was really different and, and yeah, quite the effort. Yeah, I was reading up on it before, and Gathering nearly got cancelled a few times because it was taking so long. Mm. Yeah, I think that was Electronic Arts, uh, because they, it was published by Electronic Arts, right? Yeah. And they probably said at one point, come on, guys, what, mm -hmm. what's taking you? Yeah. It is EA after all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, A little bit before they were the evil empire, but... Oh, yeah, totally. That's that's something we should talk a little bit about. Um, Electronic Arts doesn't have um, a great reputation right now, I think. Uh, or, yeah, over the past, the last few or years. Or through the 90s. Yeah, they got this name for just, yeah, releasing these sports games and, and putting in no effort at all and just slapping a new number on it. And Well, me, it's the... Uh... It's the destruction of my favorite studios, man. Westwood, mm. Bullfrog, Origin. Dude, yeah, they just yeah. consume them and spit them out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But when I say the 90s, that's what I'm talking about. Like, uh, just guts me. But um, when this game, when they started on this game, I think it was in 82 that they started. I think Electronic Arts was just had just been founded. And it had been founded by two ex- Apple uh, guys, and they were really passionate about games. And so this early Electronic Arts wasn't the the, the, the terrible, evil uh, corporate thing. It was actually a very small company that was very passionate about making great games and, and helping developers uh, achieve that. Uh, and I, I also think they didn't just provide publishing uh, services, but they also helped produce the games. So they they were actually quite involved. Um, I read that this one guy, what's his name again? Uh, Joe Ibera. He was uh, the co-founder of Electronic Arts, but he was also the producer on Starflight. So you can see these these yeah, they're really doing this together, which is quite different from well how it how it works now and how it's perceived now. So yeah, actually, Electronic Arts back then was pretty cool, I think. Yeah. But uh, what else is in the box? Because well, there's a code wheel. <laughs> there is a code wheel, isn't there? Definitely the code wheel, which was kind of irritating. Yeah, the I like. It's one of those things when I first start playing the game again, like the nostalgia factor is really good. I'm like, oh yeah, code wheel, so sweet. But after like the 
tenth time you're like leaving the spaceport after selling some junk and you're just like, uh, I just want to fly away. Yeah. Yeah, if you just had to use it once, it would be all right. But it's every single time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It keeps on asking you. Is that is that true? Is that how it works? Yeah. 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 Every, every, every time, time you, you want to leave the space station. Uh, Although it, it's this is a it bears uh, worth mentioning kind of the fun of how the copy protection works. Um, I don't know if you guys ever failed it, you know, intentionally or whatever, just to for funsies. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, you get the like the space police warning, like <laughs> you are in violation and we're coming for you, and you actually get to leave and go, you can go fly around. But you're eventually just hunted down by this mammoth swarm of police uh, ships, and they just blow you up immediately, and it's over. But it's way more fun than just saying, no, you can't take off. Like, yeah. props yeah. to those guys. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, but- it isn't so immediate, actually. Uh, they'll, they'll like, pull you over in space. And if you pick the right options, like, if you respond, like, obsequiously or whatever the weird option is, um, they'll, like, give you an option to retry it. So you can you can get them off your back if you give them the right code the second time, right? Ah, so you get a retry. It's, yeah, I had forgotten that. It's been so long since I uh, decided to run from the cops that uh, I had forgotten that they kind of give you a second chance there. Ah, that's really cool. I don't think there are a lot of games which give you a second chance at trying to to uh, pass the copy protection. <laughs> right. That's cool. Um, Transactica asked you several times when it was when you entered it wrong in the first time, but they, but it didn't ask you later again, just right at the moment when you misentered. And Transactica also didn't tell you if you got it right or wrong. It just nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah. Okay, so this is really cool. This is a really nice box, and it's <laughs> uh, it's clear they put a lot of effort into this game and. Uh, and also, I noticed on your photo, by the way, Tyler, um, I saw some big five and a quarter inch floppy disks, but also a smaller three and a half inch floppy disk. What's up with that? Uh, you are correct. Uh, you can either play the game off the two floppies, or if you were riding that sweet technology curve in uh, 1986, <laughs> you could play it off one. Oh, fancy. And uh, luckily for me, our Tandy had two three and a half inch drives. No hard drive, but I remember my dad, when he brought it home, like, pointed that out to me. Like, look at these, Tyler. These, these are the new thing, man. Three and a half. Like, this this is the, this is the future. We're living it. Yeah. And so, wow. yeah, good times. So the game actually came on, on both formats because not everyone, you, you didn't know which, if people had one or the other one uh, drive. That's, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I, this is a—I mean, I guess it's bears worth mentioning now. Like to me, it just seems second nature. Of course, it did, but back then, like most games did, like no, they really didn't. No, I—I I I think I had a PC in about '89, and I could have, most of the games were still on five and a quarters, and I had a three and a half inch floppy. I couldn't buy half of them. <laughs> oh man, there are some games um, that came with a small postcard that said, um, send us your five and a quarter inch floppy and five dollars and you will get a three and a half inch floppy back. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, and post them off or whatever. I wanted to do that as a kid. <laughs> I've been waiting about a month for mail order already. And yet to pay extra to get, to get the other yeah. floppy. Yeah, there was a, this was a big thing back in the 80s, I think. I think by the 90s, most people had the three and a half uh, format drive. But back in the 80s, yeah, people could really have either one. So if you if you release the game, then yeah, you didn't know what 
And actually, this is this is really uh, rather nice because this is uh, this is Electronic Arts spending money on this game by providing both floppies in the in the box, right? I mean, it just means one copy is never used, probably, or maybe you can hand it out to a friend, but then you have to copy the code wheel as well, right? <laughs> Um, is there also, is there also a star map? Yeah, there's yeah. a big map. Uh, the map is really nice. Uh, hmm. it's multicolored. Um, it has, uh, pictures of gameplay and stuff on the side. And there's actually some, you know, clues and stuff mixed into even those pictures. If you look at them oh. and, uh, it's nice to photocopy. Yeah. This is, uh, this is really a quality release with all these nice stuff in the box. Oh yeah. Very high production yeah. value. Cool. Um, you're saying the star map contains hints to the game, but the manual is also special in that it contains additional information that's not about the gameplay itself, but about some background information that you need to actually be successful, right? Like um, these these two races that don't really like each other, and you don't get that information from the game itself, right? Yeah, the the dinosaur guys and the plant guys. The plant guys are the Elowen and having a hard time remembering the dinosaur guys but yeah is it the thrin the thrin yeah. yeah those guys if you have you know the opposite race on your ship they won't talk to you so never never take a ship uh man this would have been a good uh, beginner's tip that i didn't share but <laughs> i knew to do myself <laughs> no. oh, it's in the ma- everyone read the manual i'm sure oh yeah yeah everyone did sure yeah <laughs> but yeah never start your game with both uh dinosaur thrin and a plant guy at the same time because then they both won't talk to you so always have just one yeah they can talk to the opposite and and i think it also means uh if you if you have both the the reptilian guys and the plant guys then when you encounter either of those species then you can't talk to them yeah because yeah i think that's that's yeah that's what what i was trying to say oh that's what he was saying yeah your crew members will always behave um well with each other but not with other um members of other ships right yeah right okay so um now that we are mentioning uh, alien races maybe we should just list or or go through them quickly because uh there're quite a lot uh in this game uh you mentioned already that there are humans when you uh, are assembling your crew and you also mentioned there are androids because that's you wanted to go for the androids, but actually, it's not such a smart move, is it? Yeah, they just, uh, they can't, they have high starting stats, which look appealing, hmm. but uh, they cannot be uh, upgraded at all. And so, considering that every other race can go past them in skills, then, you know. Hmm. Maybe we should talk about the skills before we explain how the races differ in those skills. Hmm. Sure. What are the skills? So, there are skills like um, navigation which, um, as far as I can tell, means how well this um, member of your crew can navigate uh, the space and find out where you are after you went through a wormhole. And also it helps you navigate on the planet surface, if I'm not mistaken, does it? Hmm. I know the. Uh, it's definitely if you go through the wormhole and kind of get lost in space. I'm not sure if it helps on the planet or not. I really don't. I think I read it's, it, it helps with sandstorms and such. Or with with storms in in general. Okay, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, For the others, I'm not so sure because, as I said, I didn't get that far in the game, but there is um, science. What what exactly does it do? Science is for uh, when you're scanning the planets. If you don't have a high uh, science skill, you might not 
you know, you might get back question marks. You might not make accurate scannings. So that's all I know that's for. Okay. Um, then engineering, which I assume is for um, repairing the ship mostly, or is there other things that the engineer does? As far as I know, it's just repairing. So then there's communications, which is only for communicating with foreign species. Correct. And uh, um, it also helps if, if your if the race of your communications officer is the same as the race you try to talk to. And I think it even helps if you have a member of that race that you want to talk to anywhere in your um, crew, doesn't it? I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah, there's there's some there's actually really deep mechanics or deeper than I expected with the communications officer because it's like if you communicate with the ship and your communications officer is the same race, then you get a big bonus. If any of your crew is the same race, you get a smaller bonus. And it also depends on the communication skill of, I think, both of those. Mm -hmm. So, like, that one skill, I think, has probably the most effect on anything besides maybe navigation. Just because it affects so much of the game. Because communicating is such, it's such an integral skill to getting the clues that you need to progress. Mm. Right. Absolutely right. And uh, then there's the last one, that's medicine, which is just how well this crew member can heal other crew members, right? Yeah. When they're injured. And they don't really get injured that often. Well, it depends how you play, right? <laughs> well, um, when I played, when I played, they got injured all the time because oh, no. I lost my ground vehicle and then they had to walk back through the storm, just barely reach the ship again. It was, uh, I, I mistreated my crew uh. unintentionally, but I did. Um. And I think it's also interesting to mention that the skills that you just listed, Florian, uh, they map pretty directly to uh, the six uh, posts that are available on your ship. Yeah. So uh, you have uh, a science officer and you have a navigator and, and an engineer and a communications officer and a doctor. Yeah. So I think there are those five skills exactly yeah um which map to one of the posts and there's the captain which i don't really know what he does yeah i have never really figured out what the captain's skills how they factor in but i just max them out i max out everything on the captain on principle because i name it after myself so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah of course you do that's yeah. how you play a game <laughs> you're you're the captain obviously yeah yeah i think i think the only thing that really matters about the captain is that it has to be a human Because there's some plot points that have specifically to do with the backstory of how the humans got to where they are. Oh, so some alien hmm. races will only respond to a human captain in the in the way that you need. Huh. Ah, but but you can use a different race if you want, right? Just the game will get harder, or will it be unbeatable then? Um, I think it'll be unbeatable because there's some. There's one particular encounter I'm thinking of that reveals like a massive amount about what's going on and you can only get there if you're if you have a human as a captain hmm. that's um but but the game doesn't stop you from using a different race does it nope because that would be cool <laughs> yeah way, way to go <laughs> i can never remember not making a human captain and i feel like i would have if it was an option but i don't know It doesn't seem like they'd make the game where you couldn't even complete it by picking, you know, a Bugman captain. Yeah. Well, it's it on the one hand it seems maybe not very good game design to do so, but then again, this game is so incredibly old. There weren't a lot of established uh 
like yeah i want to say rules but that's not really what i mean but there were, there are not really a lot of established guidelines on how to design computer games i think so a lot of these old games you can get stuck in them pretty quickly because it's just designed in one way and then if you deviate from that then yeah it just doesn't work so maybe i don't know it's it i wouldn't put it beyond an 80s game let me just say it like that. I mean, I know there are other games that just break like that if you don't do things correctly. So, I don't know. I feel like you have to be a human because you're fighting, you're like, you're on the Earth side, or, you know, like the, you're doing this for humanity, right? Like, so, hmm. oh, well. maybe the humans just have very good friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, um yeah the, the there are the six uh, posts that you need to fill and you can there's there's five species that you can uh, choose from and i think we've mentioned all of them except one uh we've mentioned the humans and and yeah we just talked about that uh, and we also mentioned the androids um there's also the the thrins which are uh reptilian creatures and they hate the elo one and the L1, that's the other kind. They, they're like plants or, or trees, or I'm not completely sure. Yeah, and they dislike the Thrin. So the only one that we haven't talked about is called the Velox or Velox, I'm not sure. Uh, and they're, they're bugs, right? Or they're insects or... Ants. Well, what are, what are they? They're giant insect praying mantis guys, yeah. essentially. I just call them the right. bug guys because that's how I roll. But you know, <laughs> yeah, technically they're the Velox. Yeah, I read that they have uh, two arms and two legs, and then two just auxiliary uh, arms or legs, and they can use them however they want. That's pretty cool. <laughs> they certainly have like a cool profile picture in the uh, character generation screen. Ah, yeah. So, and they are. Uh, each of these, I mean, we're just listing the species now, but each of these species, they are quite different, aren't they? Oh, yeah, they have different relationships with each other. And one thing I, I want to ask, did you guys play enough to uh, figure out or hear from the, the Elowen and the Thryn why they don't like each other? I guess not. I think Richard has. Yeah, I did. I'm trying to remember what it was. I know they shared the same planet at some or something. No, the same system, was it, at some point? Well, I'm thinking maybe just a little bit even more more broad than that that the the thrin love the delicious head fruit ah. that, yeah that was it and then then yeah the elowen do not like them eating their heads so like that's the that's the real thing like thing they just love the delicious head fruit they always talk about it like mm, the head fruit <laughs> and uh and i think at one point like sometimes the elowen will ask you like you know do you consume the head fruit and you know yes or no and obviously if you pick yes they just open up on you uh, <laughs> that's great yeah so actually it's a pretty valid reason for the elowen to hate the thrins mhm mm uh, basically yeah the thrins they just they they just don't care it it must taste really good i mean <laughs> i know my mouth waters when i talk to them sometimes <laughs> Right. But um, what I meant by them being different, I mean, there's this uh, story element to it, but they also, they, they just behave in different ways, uh, gameplay-wise. They, they learn at different paces, and they're, some are quite strong and some aren't. So yeah, It also may, means um, different races can reach the highest level of um, 
proficiency in, in one of these skills and others can't, right? Yeah. So you really have to pick a race for your position that will actually be able to reach the highest levels in the end. Hmm. Yeah, that's the best way um, to do it. Yeah, um, but we, we also talked about the profile pictures for the races a few minutes ago. Um, did you see this this weird pose that the humans uh, have? It looks like like a bodybuilder showing you how great <laughs> of, a, of a shape they have. Uh, I was I was laughing when I saw this profile picture the first few times. <laughs> it, he does look like he's flexing. Yes. I'm never going to be able to unsee that now, by the way. Like, thank you. I never really thought about it before. Thanks, but yes. Thanks for ruining his childhood love. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm only adding to it. Um, but that, that's what humans do. Come on. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about the skills and the species. Um, there's also upgrading your ship. Uh, there's different aspects which you can upgrade, like the, the cargo pods and the engines and the shields. And, I, and the weapons. I want to say real quick, don't mean to cut you off, but it also bears in mind there are a few alien races more that you ah, know that you just don't get to have on your ship. There's the fishmen, right? There's the the Ehrlichs, I think they're called, which are like the real badasses that are on the borderline, mm. or you know, the border of the map, and you know, dangerous territory. There's the uh, the robot men. Yeah, there's more robots. Oh yeah, right. I guess the androids. I read the Ulek that you mentioned. They are literally unreasonable, as in you cannot reason with them. Yeah. Talking to them just doesn't work. Yeah, they are only out there to shoot you immediately. Yeah. And there's also, uh, I can't remember, like, the, the song singer guys, right? Hmm. You guys know what I'm talking uh, about? The minstrels. Yes, the minstrels. That's just, that's so, I mean, reading about these minstrels, I didn't encounter them in the game, actually, but I read about them. and. This is really when it clicked to me, or this really communicates to me how how much extra stuff they put into this game, uh, which isn't well. It's just a lot. Uh, what do you call this? Like um, they they really just love to make this game as 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 full as it can be by adding this sort of uh, the the yeah the poet guys. They just tell poems. Is that it? And they update you on the news, something like that. They basically tell you like cryptic messages about like the ancients and you know yeah. flow of the universe kind of stuff, but you never really get it because it's always pretty you know yeah, cryptic that, and yeah. weird. They're not they're not that helpful. Really. <laughs> no, but it it just helps to set the mood, like so the mystery, right? Like there was uh, some other race as well that was speaking in binary or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are the android guys, the robot dudes, like. No. They they tell you a binary number, and I thought this was worth mentioning on the forums because, mm-hmm. like, I saw it, and you know, I thought, ooh, you know, that's binary, and I yeah. calculated the numbers out, and I sat there and theory crafted for a while, and I couldn't figure anything out, and then I cheated and went to the internet and found forums of other people trying to figure it out, and they think it might be some phone number or something, maybe, oh. like they think they figured out how to make it like the out to be the California area code, maybe oh. where the studio was, yeah. but there was no big trick. And I wanted to try to save anybody else, <laughs> like, you know, an hour's worth of calculating only to find nothing. <laughs> That's very kind of you. <laughs> um, there's also the, the, the Spemin, Spemin, the blob-like aliens. Yeah, yeah, the blobs. Yeah. What are they, what are are they like? The bootlickers. The bootlickers. Ah, oh, like they become real friendly uh, 
they're they're weak. Mm. You know, they're easily threatened. Like, did you ever did you ever guys ever talk to them and they they'll say something like you'll ask them a question and they'll say like we'll never reveal the you know no spaman would ever reveal the home world you know <laughs> because we're so bold and honorable and stuff and then if you raise your weapons they're like oh my god it's right here please please don't kill us like it's yeah. it's really a funny interaction and yeah. it's good stuff yeah and that's that's also i think this is what really makes the game because if you just start playing it seems a bit of a grind you know you're just harvesting these minerals and it's all but actually i think the um, the beauty of the game is really in in talking to these aliens and and then having all these yeah these these cool characters you meet and then you can talk with and interact with and that's really what what gives this game well i i just read on the internet there's actually a lot of love for this game oh yeah there's a ton of lore yeah there's like a full like thousand plus years of history about how the humans got to the spaceport and like their historical relations with the the Meccan species, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the lore is really deep and very dense. Yeah, that's and that's really impressive given how old this game is. That's really what struck me most is that. This game doesn't seem to realize how old it is. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it has this immense ambition to it. Yeah, those developers had a lot of courage to say, you yeah. know, we're going to do something like this because, I mean, yeah, it's just unheard of. Yeah. Yeah, the thing, I think the thing with Starflight is actually one of the first big games to get its first release on DOS. Mm-hmm. So they had all this extra memory available. An extra speed. Mm. Slightly worse graphics, but I think that's why it holds up so well, because it wasn't developed for something like a C64 first. Right, yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, one, of the, um, one of the things you can do is to find, uh, find other planets which you can colonize. Yeah, you can, uh, at the start of the game, one of your... Uh briefings when you're talking to command there uh well taking your briefings from command they say to map out or you know report back with planets that you find that are suitable so they need oxygen in the atmosphere right the gravity has to be right the temperatures and stuff have to be right Hmm. and then if you uh just when you're at that planet you have the option to like you know record planet for colonization or whatever and you just get some bonus space bucks for doing it right or you get chastised if you tell them to go to like a 20G planet. <laughs> they get real mad at you. They take some money away. Aw. Or you get fined for for I think I think they give you like one pass and then start fining you. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's fair, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Dangerous stuff. <laughs> I is. just I can I can close my eyes and see a very vivid picture of the colony ship. Like we're here, yeah. get ready to start your <laughs> new race, life. Oh, get real hot on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. because that's actually a, that's actually a pretty big gameplay thing. Um, we talked a little bit about this science uh, officer, uh, which links to this science skill. Um, but when you're when you're uh, looking for planets and you're exploring the galaxy, th- this is the main thing to look out for, right? Is is 
what sort of uh, well, what sort of conditions are make up this planet, and and is it safe to land? Uh, sure. Yeah. You can make you can make it real hard on yourself or real easy on yourself. Like you know, when I when you first start playing the game and you're just looking for planets and you're kind of going like you say that trial and error, and you find this planet. And it has some minerals on it that you like, you know, but it has this like horrible vol- volcanic weather. And <laughs> yeah, this may be like you were saying before, you know, your crew members are taking a lot of damage and it's real tough. But yeah. that's because you're just not thinking about, man, there's like a planet maybe somewhere else nearby that has none of this stuff and, you know, some good minerals, too. So yeah. it really matters to to look at those stats before you just go diving in like. I used to just look at the minerals, right? Ooh, gold, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, you don't even look at anything else. And oh no, my, I've gone five you know, meters away from the ship and I've completely lost it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was one of the really fun moments that I had when I was playing the game. Like when you, you find a new system and you think, okay, I need to find some specific things and you kind of go from planet to planet and you tell your science officer to do the scan, and you look through all the data and look through the analysis. Like, when you're maybe not quite as good uh, playing on such a modern screen and keyboard and mouse, but I can imagine on, like, a really old-school terminal, that would really make you feel like you're actually, like, a Star Trek captain. Mm. Most definitely. Yeah. I, I, I felt a bit like that, actually, playing this. Just the screen, it all looks so... But I, yeah, the resolution isn't really there... Um, but that's just the modern perspective, you know. But I suppose if you were used to looking at, at these massive pixels, then this would all look pretty impressive, uh, having all these stats on your screen. And the, actually, the, the, um, the landing sequence when you, when you approach a planet, that's, I, fu- I found that even quite impressive today, just what that looked like. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, There's a, it's, it's a bit 3D, and, and you can see some... You can make out some details on, on the landing site and stuff like that. It's really quite cool. Agreed. I remember it blowing my mind as a kid, you know. Yeah. I think one last thing to mention now that we're talking about landing. Um, so you can fly around in space, but you can also look for planets. And, and when you land on a planet, you it switches to this um, terrain vehicle, right? Yeah. And you just move around. This is probably the most where the graphics kind of suffer the most to like, you know, you got to look past some basic stuff hmm. where like the minerals are just X's yeah. and the, the creatures that you find tend to be, you know, just like a gray circle kind of for the most part. Like, yeah, that's where it really requires a little bit more imagination <laughs> uh, maybe than before. But uh, yeah, you know, and you also have to remember where you parked your space uh, ship. Uh, not really. Or at least, well, <laughs> Nah, it says it says so, but you, you you have to watch out for the fuel. That's actually the thing. Yeah, that that's why I lost a few of my crew members <laughs> <laughs> because they just didn't make it back um, <laughs> on their one hundred kilometer march um, through hostile planets. <laughs> wish, wish you didn't run us out of gas so far on the volcano planet. You know, yeah, <laughs> hot out here. Poor old poor old red shirts. Yeah. Right. Ah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I think, I think that's, that's the entire game right there, isn't it? Yeah. It's the, it's your ship with the, with the posts and then the species you meet, the, 
the 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 ship you upgrade the 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 stuff you mine the 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 planets you you pick as colonization targets exploring space well this is all the um oh um yeah one thing that's fun about uh whenever you're exploring the actual planets mm-hmm. is that's actually one of the important ways that you can get uh, new plot information, like new clues. Right. If you find the ruins, you can find recordings lying around. So that's one of those like fun little touches when you're exploring like an abandoned planet or a seemingly abandoned planet. Uh, no spoilers. Um, well, I think that was spoiler enough. Like you'll find this recording from people who were there hundreds of years ago yeah. that'll point you to some coordinates on another planet or something like that. And it, it really makes you feel like you're unraveling this ancient interstellar mystery. Yeah. Yeah, you are so right. Yeah. Tell us about this, Tyler, because I think this game, being it from 86, we can have some spoilers now, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's absolutely right, though, about how like you discover the new clues, and, and it is... It's very exciting when you're playing the game, right? Because it's you know kind of a monotone game, humming and stuff. And when you finally like make this big plot development, like it's like you're like this is why I'm playing the game. Like it's a exciting discovery. Yeah. And the universe is so massive, and I mean there's so many systems with so many planets in each system that you, the way the game is designed, you know that everything's kind of there waiting for you when you start the game. But the fact that you just need to figure it out and decipher the locations of things that, like, when you get a location, I mean, you really feel like an exploring treasure hunter, you know, like when you go to a remote star system, to a weird planet, to this exact location on the surface, and you find that ruin, like he was saying, mm-hmm. or the artifact, like, yeah, oh my gosh, like, yeah, it just feels so good. It's it's really where the magic of the game is. I mean, like, no one's going to fall in love with this game because they're just like, I love that <laughs> noise when I'm driving around in the ATV. Can't get enough of it. Like, no, man, the when the, the game captures people because they get caught up in the story. Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was especially fun when you, you follow a clue. Like, I followed a clue, just some random coordinate, and you go way out there. It's so far away. And you... So the first thing you do, this is something I did. I marked the planet for colonization. And of course, uh, I decided appropriate names for colonizable planets since we're, you know, repopulating the species or whatever was to give them all weird sex jokes for names. So I'd call them like the sex rock or various other uh, inappropriate (laughs) names. But so I finally got to this one and I just called it a sex joke, IDK, because I had run completely out at that point. So I land. That's literally what you called it. <laughs> yeah, I called it a sex joke, IDK. <laughs> <laughs> so I land, and that's like when you go to the landing screen, it shows you the map of the planet, and it's Earth. Like, this random coordinate on the planets that I was led to is actually Earth, but post-solar flare. So it was a barren wasteland at that point. Oh. You know, and then several more clues in the plot basically have you exploring, like, ancient Martian colonies and such, even though it's just communicated as regular ruins like everything else. And that was really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask, uh, I, I think I asked in a forum post, actually, like if anybody found Earth yet. Like, it's it's totally cool that it's mixed in there and not kind of 
you know, obvious, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is it is it possible to reach Earth uh, before the solar flare? Yeah, uh, that's that's another really awesome thing that I, I think I mentioned on the IRC is like, if you follow the clues fast enough, you'll get to Earth uh, before the solar flare and it'll be like a full like biological planet and everything. And then you follow some more clues eventually and you'll end up coming back wow. to our solar system, but it'll be post-solar flare. So like over the course of the game, you'll actually see our solar system get ruined by the, the plot that's going Damn. on. So that really adds, like it's just this really, like it's integrated completely into the, like the large scale thing that's going on, but just, just the fact that it also happens to our solar system really adds a lot of tension to, yeah. to what's going on. Wow, man. This is something. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Tyler, uh, you also mentioned uh, there's a revelation in the end of the game. And I think Richard actually managed to to beat the game. I, I know that you beat the game, Tyler, but I think Richard uh, also managed to, to complete the game uh, during the month that we played it. Isn't that right, Richard? Yeah, it is, with, with a bit of cheating, I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit. So, mm. so we'll keep quiet on that bit, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, still though, you've got you've witnessed the ending though, and were you surprised by it? Yeah, I was completely surprised by it. It's got a star, sort of Star Trek kind of twist at the end. So, am I allowed to give it away? Uh, well, I, yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> I think we're kind of at that point. I think we're yeah, we're on the precipice. Yeah, I mean, it's only been what forty years. Uh, yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, come on, man! I'm not that old. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So so it turns out this endurium that powers everyone's spaceships mm-hmm. is actually the alien, the ancient life form that set up this crystal planet that's causing all of the suns to flare in the first place. So all, everyone's basically been powering their spaceships with living aliens. Wow. But they live in a completely different time frame, so they, you can't see them move. Wow. Apparently. Yeah, they basically just, like, they are so almighty and so big, almost kind of like living in an alternate dimension. And to to them, we would resemble like a virus, right? Like, we're like a little cancer to them. We're running around and we're burning up. Mm. We're just burning them up. We're eating them up. Yes. And, uh, yeah. and halfway through the game, if you guys will remember, like, the price, like, fuel gets scarcer and scarcer. And the price of fuel increases over time. And that's... I think to like also play into like the intensifying of the solar flares. And so, yeah, really they're just blowing up all the suns in the universe to like burn out the organic matter. That's like eating away at them at a cancer, but in the end it's them or us kind of thing. And you gotta, you drop that black egg, that bomb and you blow them up. Yeah. And blow and, them all up. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I know. I like that. There isn't like a ton of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. to it in the game you know what i mean like it's not totally ruined by like just oppressive amounts of foreshadowing like i think we can all remember some stories where you're just like the ending is not surprising at all because they laid it on too thick yeah and so having this just my I just my jaw kind of dropped when i first beat it and was just like oh really wow yeah and and you know what uh this this a sort of amazing uh, alien species, which which views all life in the universe like uh, a disease or a virus. That's 
that's not unlike uh, what Mass Effect is about, isn't it? I suppose you're right, yeah. Um, that's a pretty good comparison. And that's that's amazing, because in a way, this game is Mass Effect. It's, it's, it's Mass Effect 86, basically. It really is, yeah. Heavy dialogue options, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, if you look at a a screenshot comparison of like the uh, the planetary scanning screen for Mass Effect and the the planet landing scene screen in Starflight, it's basically identical, yeah. except for the massive pixels. Huh. That's uh. Well, I I read that um in 2011 um the the what what I don't remember the name now the director of Mass Effect, but I don't know Casey Hudson. That's the name. In 2011, KC Hudson uh, tweeted that actually uh, Starflight was the main inspiration for Mass Effect. Huh. So, in a way, these games, yeah, they're, they're completely linked. Oh, I didn't know that. So that's pretty cool. And I'm a massive Mass Effect fan, so... Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. So, so just for that, uh, a, a massive thanks to you for, for, uh, for suggesting this game, because I had, hadn't even heard of it, and now... Uh, and now I learn it's actually vital to, well, I th- I don't think just Mass Effect though. I think this game was massively influential uh, on 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 PC gaming as a whole. I think this, uh, as as someone mentioned before, I think this is one of the first really big games ever to be launched on the PC. So, and it got a lot of praise as well. Uh, I read some some amazingly positive uh, critical responses. I think your dad wasn't the only one impressed, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to know that it held up. Uh, like, uh, when you guys said that basically no one else had played it before, my biggest fear was like, oh, God. Uh, what, yeah. what if they all go play it and they're like, this game's a real stinker, man. Like, why would you do this to us, you <laughs> asshole? <sucks>. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that everybody, you know, enjoyed it because... There is a bit, a little bit of monotonous that you kind of have to get past, you know, with the farming up of the money and stuff to really get to the meaty mm. bits that make it feel so good. But uh, you can push past it. Yeah, and you yeah. could also totally see someone uh, just giving up on it, like after they destroy one of their saves Ooh. because they oh messed one of their floppies up or something. How can we have not talked about this? Oh my gosh, the save it, system. It only happened like seven times to me. That's that's <laughs> oh, nothing. Come on. Man. Yeah, we have to talk about this. Um who can can you explain what's up with this Florian? Uh well, the game when it saves uh, the the game state, it overrides the executable file of the game itself containing the game state actually, and it also seems to make changes to the game while it's being played. So when you just uh, shut down your computer or you close DOSBox while running the game, then the executable file will not contain a valid game state anymore. And it will just tell you, oh, the game state is in progress, but we cannot continue it. And then it will just uh, quit the game for you again. And you are never able to recover your saved game if you do that. So if you play the game, always end the game normally via the escape man, um, escape key and the save state um, menu option, because otherwise you will lose your save, stem, uh, save gate. Save game. Now we have it. And also <laughs> never play it from the original floppy. 
Yeah. Otherwise, you will completely destroy your copy of the game and never be able to play it at all again. <laughs> that's that's this is such an amazing fact to me. I think it even says so in the readme. Like the first line of the readme is make sure you make a, a play copy of this disc so you can recover it in case you screw up because you will screw it up at one point. Yeah, or the power will go out or something like that. Yeah. 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 Every hour, every hour, you should quit your game and back it up. Every hour. As a guy that's been playing this game on and off over the last 20 years, you know, like 30 years, man, <laughs> just just do this because I promise you that the hassle will save you the anger. Yeah. Like when you lose six hours. Does anyone have an idea on on why it's implemented like this? The, the developers must have. I, I have. Yeah. Could could you tell us? I have some assumptions, but I I mean this is this is no um, in any way um, information that is that is. Um, it's pure speculation. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, it's pure speculation. Exactly. Um, so they have this memory limit that you have for normal dosexecutable.com files. And I think what they do is, is just load the whole image of um, of the executable file into RAM and then use that as the um, the whole state of the game and it must contain all the code and everything. And so I assume they just didn't have any memory left to actually load files. That's my assumption, at least. Mm. So by, by doing it this way... You know, the, the whole file is in memory all the time, and it's also your game. Okay. So that's, that's my my speculation. There might be better reasons, to, or better ways to explain it, but that's what I think. Hmm. I, th I think I read something. It's I think this was one of the first games where the entire universe was persistent. So if you went off and mined some minerals on any planet and then went back again later on, they'd, they wouldn't come back again. I think so. You'd have to hold the whole universe in memory. I don't, think, which probably wasn't possible in 256k at the time. Well, but they they could at least have put it in a different file or something. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if you want to, well, yeah, but you're trying to run it off floppies, I guess. If, uh, if you want to run the game on 128k RAM, then you probably don't have um, the memory left to actually open and write a file. Mm. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I I haven't encountered any other game that was implemented in this way. I mean, no, me neither. Most games just have a safe file, which is a separate file. But yeah, this is a, surely a novel way, but also a very dangerous way because, yeah, it's very dangerous to break your game. I think it could also be that uh, a lot of people at the time didn't have hard drives, so mm -hmm. definitely. And so you might like just take your disc over to your friend's house who has two two whole floppy drives so you can copy the disk over and take it back to your, your poor house where you only have one lonely floppy drive so you can still play the game even on your <laughs> single floppy drive, no hard drive computer. Um, but but for, for some reason, um, if I remember correctly, the um, executable file was twice on the floppy images, at least on those that I got. So I don't know what's up with that. Hmm. And the, well, my version was on two five and a quarters. There was an executable on each. Ah, so maybe it was. Maybe that's why. Ah, so each of them contains different parts of the code, possibly. Oh. Yeah, so different bits of the that, universe. That I makes guess. sense. Yeah, but ah, you're right, and they have to contain the same code. And yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. I also read that the game was written in um, a programming language called Forth, 
Have you ever heard of that, Florian? Um, I have, but I've never coded it. <laughs> it's a bit outdated. It's from the 70s, I think. Yeah, C is also from the 70s, but that doesn't... Yeah. It got updated. I mean, I don't know if there's people still using fourth, but... Well, apparently they... Uh... It's, I think it's it's nothing people learn today anymore. No, no, no. No, totally. But, uh, well, I think... I think this game was pretty big for the fourth language, but also I read that they, uh, the developers, the developers didn't have a lot of experience making games. I don't think a lot of people had experience making games back in the early eighties to begin with. Uh, so I read that they, um, they interacted a lot with the with the four with the fourth guys and the, and the people in the community uh, using the fourth language. So they would be. Uh, reading stuff in magazines and and posting back their findings and stuff so uh there was a lot of interaction i think between the fourth community and and this this team of game developers so i, I think yeah everyone was just exploring a bit like how to yeah how to make games basically uh paving the way for for everything that came after of course um right we've covered quite a lot of ground here guys um we haven't talked uh, i mean we've talked about gameplay and we've talked a little bit about uh, how the game came to be we even talked a bit about the graphics um it's ega graphics i think uh which is probably Uh, yeah it can also run on cga graphics so if you have Mm. a very old computer uh, which is very unlikely but even then you can play it ah yeah um but we haven't talked about uh, the sound, um, but that's also because they're... they're... How, could, how could that be? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's the first thing you think of. Well, that's the thing. There isn't really any sound, is there? I mean, there's that's, a few... There is. Yeah. There's a bit of beepy music <laughs> at the start. There's a few high-pitched squeals that come out the speaker. Yeah, there are some yeah. high-pitched squeals in the title screen. And also, when you're in the terrain vehicle, there is this non-stop, constant... <laughs> Terrible buzzing sound. <laughs> the hum, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- these were things that I was worried about when I was like, these guys might not like it. Like, I, I, I kind of want you to include this in the podcast. Just have like a solid five minutes of this <laughs> awful, like terrible buzzing sound. Yeah, because it just plays so much. <laughs> With the intermittent beeps of the interface where you stop to pick up more cargo, like. Mm-hmm. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a cargo menu, now that you mentioned it. it it's also very weird to me because um, you don't, like, it, it uses the, the cursor keys and, and return or something. And usually you have you, to press the opposite direction. Yeah, exactly. You're used to moving, like, the selection up and down in modern user interfaces. But in this user interface, the selection is always the, the top line, and you just move the whole list up and down. And with the cursor keys, you move the list and not the selection. Hmm. That was so confusing to me. It took me, like, like five minutes to understand it and hours to master it. <laughs> Did you guys figure out that basically, uh, you know, if you have a, a keypad on your keyboard and, you know, you can you basically play the game one-handed... Like you just use the hmm. enter key. Yeah, I, I did that in the end. And um, whenever I was in the in the terrain vehicle and uh, collecting cargo, my my uh, little finger started hurting after a while because <laughs> you're going through all those menus and you hit the return key with your small finger all the time. It's, uh, painful. Um, but, uh, but, I had a job where I had to enter a lot of numbers like all day, so maybe I'm uh, a bit more immune to that because yeah. I've built up a tolerance. 
But you're, you're also more efficient if you use the numpad because you can go diagonally, right? And using the correct amount of fuel instead of yeah going around the triangle, basically. Oh, yeah. Does it actually use less fuel? Because I didn't use that uh, in the beginning at all. And I was, I think I got further and, and farther out when I started using the diagonal keys on the numpad. Uh, I've never measured it out, really. But uh, it does kind of feel that way. But at the same time, the screen is kind of stretched wide for me since I'm just doing full screen because I'm lazy. And uh, hmm. <laughs> so because the screen stretched, it really feels like you move far <laughs> to the left, not so much to the top. You're ruining the the beautiful graphics by stretching it out. Oh, I, I apologize. <laughs> <sighs> My uh, viewing ways displease the group. I'll, I swear I'll change immediately. Um... Now, we mentioned uh, quickly that this game got, got quite a few releases. Um, and we mentioned at the start that this game was originally released for uh, IBM PC and for uh, Tandy, which both run uh, DOS. And yeah, that's the original game as it was released in 86. Um, I looked it up and uh, they they did a few batches, it seems. They did a... They released some versions in 89 on uh, Amiga and Commodore 64. And then a year later, in 1990, they also released it for Atari ST and for the Apple Macintosh. And then finally, in 1991, they released it weirdly for the uh, Sega Genesis, which is uh, called the, the Mega Drive here, I think. Yeah. So this does not seem like a console game to me. I was quite surprised. Oh, but with the controls, it's actually, I think the controls were the easiest part to hmm. port over to the console. That's true. It uses very few buttons, actually. Yeah, you need only... Yeah, I think it's yeah. really just directional keys, uh, enter and escape are the only ones that you really need to use. Yeah. Except for when you need to input a number. Or a name. Oh, yeah. You sometimes have to enter the name of your crew members, for example. Hmm. But yeah. Um, they also released a, uh, a sequel. In uh, also in '89, Starflight Two, uh, the Trade Routes of of the Cloud Nebula, it's called. Has anyone played the sequel? I have loaded it up and kind of like dabbled in it. Okay, but that was a long time ago and only for a minute, and then I just went right back to Starflight One uh, because I just yeah I just wanted it. <laughs> well, I, I I haven't played it myself, so I I have no idea what it what it entails, but. Uh... I imagine it's just more more Starflight. I don't know. Well, I think they incorporate like a new trading mechanic, right? So now I think you have multiple places that you can mm. sell cargo and stuff like that. So, ah. but that's uh, just going off of kind of what I read. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's actually a bit of a surprising. That, that, that was something that surprised me at least. Um, the game starts at this single starport where you can sell your your goods that you found but it's also the only it's the only starport in the entire game isn't it mhm mm so it's the only place where you can go the only friendly one yeah exactly so uh, compared to to other space games uh that that have this trading mechanic uh notably elite for example which uh yeah was released in 84 uh but elite is all about uh yeah, buying and selling at different locations and, and figuring out how to make a profit. And uh, so it, it was a bit surprising that you could only sell at your starting point and, and 
Well, it it yeah, it's just a bit of a different. Um... Isn't isn't there some mechanic where you could sell alien artifacts to another race? I never actually did it, but I... the the Thrin will buy artifacts at an inflated price. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I guess the sequel changes that. We assume so, since it's called the Trade Nebula, yeah. but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one thing I wanted to touch on, we uh, we glossed over real quick, the Sega Genesis version. I think it's worth bearing uh, to note the only real big difference, of course the graphics are different, you know, uh, it's kind of bigger looking because it's a, on the TV, the Genesis, but uh, it's the ground, the ground game is much different than the Sega Genesis version. And oh, really? there's actually upgrades for your ATV that you can purchase. Like, they really fleshed it out a lot more. Huh. Uh, like, the monsters are kind of running around the world a little bit more, and you're kind of, you know, you can shoot them down. It feels a little bit more fun. Uh, yeah. You drive it around uh, kind of arcade style, and you have to actively, like, spend some energy to scan underneath the ground for minerals. Like, everything goes into a, like, a blue, ha- a blue, over everything and then you know glowing yellow areas are where the minerals are hmm. and uh so it plays really different and i i mean i love i love my dos star flight but you know i think it plays a little bit more fun you know dare i say on the crown <laughs> than the star flight one but uh yeah we all know the ground game isn't what it's really known for so yeah but that's the big difference huh. uh other than that uh they changed the binary numbers in the Genesis version to actually like reflect coordinates and a planet that had like either an artifact or some nice mineral deposits or something. So it's nice that they hmm. took that and made it relevant. Yeah. Oh, and there is a quest. There is like a quest. I've never done it. I've just read about this online. I've never manned up and did it. But there's a quest you could do to like disable the Ulrichs or whatever. Okay. And uh, that quest is broken on the Sega Genesis, and you can't do it. Uh, so you can kind of never, never take those guys down a peg. But is that like a a bug, or is that intentional? Like, did they? Yeah, is that an intentional difference in the Sega version? Uh, truth be told, I don't know. Hmm. I just read that you can't do okay. it. Okay. Well, how oh well? Um. You mentioned uh, that in the the Sega version, the 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 ground game is a bit more interesting, and also uh, with more, uh, yeah, the aliens are running around more and they're shooting and stuff. So that reminded me, there's also combat in this game, and we haven't talked about it at all. <laughs> no, uh, we didn't. <laughs> I think there's a good reason for that. <laughs> yeah. So what's up with that? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're covering this after sound, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's it's a pretty basic system. Like it's it's exciting when it starts because you're like, oh, you know, they're opening fire and you have to go through your menu system to like raise shields, yeah. raise weapons all the while. Like they're just shooting you and you're just like, oh my god! Like if if you spaz out right there, like that's a test. Like if you spaz out at that moment, <laughs> like they just blow you up before you can get your shields up and it's game over. I hope you back that mm. game up. Like, yeah. And uh, that's why you got to save every hour because uh-huh. you never know when some jerk is going to show up and just blow you up real fast. Right. I know it's happened to me. <laughs> but then after you do, like once you get past the the tense part of go through the menus and raise the shields and arm the weapons, combat really does amount to just pressing the space bar repeatedly until the combat is done. Yep. 
Well, uh, well, then you have to dodge the red dots. You press the space bar and dodge the red dots that are coming towards you. But yeah, that's it. It's pretty easy to dodge those red <laughs> dots, though. Right. Yeah. So the the combat's really basic. Super, super basic. Yeah. Oh, well. But it's not the star of the show. Like that's yeah. why you're supposed to talk to the aliens instead of shooting them. Mm. But of course, like any good space adventure, you got to be able to shoot a couple of photon torpedoes when you need them. Yeah. You know what? Exactly like Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I you can see how influenced by Star Trek this is, and I feel like they really props to the developers for setting out to create a game that was more about like conversing and diplomacy with the aliens as opposed mm. to just, you know, ah, we kicked their ass and got the key to their home planet. Now we're going to go to the home planet and kick their ass too. Like they could have <laughs> yeah. easily made a game like that. And yeah. props to them for really wanting to make a, a mystery where communications and everything mm. and intellect was, you know, the star of the show. Yeah, definitely. That's that's interesting you mentioned that because um I was reading a bit about the uh the reviews it got at the time and all the gaming magazines they were really uh positive and and well they're really impressed by this game but uh also science fiction writers were really impressed by this game and no doubt it's because of this I mean if this was just a simple shoot shoot the bad guy game then yeah then that would have been it. But it's not. It's really uh, an interesting story that's been told and with good writing and stuff. So this was noted by uh, by science fiction writers. And I, I read multiple multiple accounts of, of, uh, of writers at the time that were very positive about this game. And they were really impressed with, uh, with the computer as a medium because of it. Yeah. I think one strong indicator of like how intellectual this game is meant to be is the fact that there's a captain's log mechanic which is really just a text entry box like it doesn't put anything in there for you it's purely uh so the player can take notes like actually write down notes about what's going on hmm. although i think I, I imagine most people would have just used a pen and paper but like the fact that it, that mechanic is there is a strong indicator that you're meant to take notes yeah it's nice that they put it there yeah I've read that a lot. That that yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's one of the beginner tips that you have to write everything down that happens because otherwise, you'll be terribly lost. And yeah, yeah. I felt like a doofus because uh, I typed. I was get, I typed out in the forums my you know beginners tips, and I think I typed down. You know, I'm I'm riding on the hype, right? Like I'm excited. I'm t I'm typing my thing. I'm trying to think of good ideas, and of course, I think you know communications is important. I think I typed. Yeah. You know, write everything down yeah and then someone commented later like well there is a lot of fluff man <laughs> <laughs> and i just said i meant i meant anything relevant any any information with systems or numbers that's yeah. that's what i meant <laughs> but yeah gotta gotta be taking those notes yeah and it's worth printing off the map so that you can map out mm. the uh the wormholes you know like yeah i printed i photocopied uh my map and i have Tons of wormholes all just etched out. And of course, you can see this. I guess we never talked about it, but it does have a star map built within the game that you can reference and see the universe and your mm. relation to it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, wormholes you go through then do appear there. 
So you don't need the map much, kind of like you were saying with the notes there and everything. You don't need a notepad and you don't need the physical map because they provide it all for you in the game. But there's something charming about having the map there and like, you know, getting your ruler out and charting it by hand. Like it's, it's, I, I feel like there's a real window for an indie developer to come in and make a game like this, Mm. you know, where, you know, I I think that there's a room for an indie dev to come and make a parser based adventure game. I could be crazy, but oh, definitely, I, I would I would buy it. I don't know. Yeah, uh, definitely. Hey, Josh, didn't 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 you say you want to remake the game exactly like it is, just <laughs> with modern tech? Uh, yeah. So go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it does make you feel like a proper captain, doesn't it? When you when you take down the notes and you look at the map and you just yeah you're working oh yeah it really does and just navigating the interface like navigator the <laughs> <laughs> way fire the engines like and I know we all probably said that to ourselves a little bit like as we were kind of doing I mean I know I do definitely so, yeah definitely <laughs> like uh, yeah it's, so it pulls you in yeah that's great that's really impressive for. You know, a game that has huge pixels and uh, and just a bunch of colors and uh, yeah, for a game that moves blobs around the screen and goes brrrr yeah. all the time, like it has a surprising amount of immersion. Yeah. So, um, now I think one uh, thing to mention um, that's worthwhile is that it's available on uh, GOG.com in case that you're interested and you want to buy it. Uh, And it's not expensive either. I think it's $6, something like that. And you get both the the original game and the sequel. So that's a pretty good deal, I think. Um, And that's certainly uh, a much better deal than the alternative, which is to go on eBay and and look for, you know, uh, an original boxed version from the 80s. Uh, because those can really cost you. I've seen yeah, I, ones that go up over two hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. There, there have been re-releases though that um, seem to be a bit cheaper. Like you can get um, a later release for forty euros or something like that if you can find one. And mm. that's the that's the hard part actually. Mm. Yeah, because this game, uh, it can be hard maybe. But then again, uh, I also read that by the end of eighty-seven. They've managed to so- sell over a hundred thousand copies of this game, uh, and in the end, they they sold over a million. So, for for the eight 80- and back in the eighties, that is huge. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, but I, I assume that's all platforms combined. Yeah, not only PC. Yeah, okay, that's true. But still, I mean, gaming was was not as big as it is now by far. It wasn't at all. Yeah. So. To sell a million copies of a game is that's really something. The question is how many floppies actually survive, <laughs> even if they have not been disposed at one point. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the save game problem, and then the floppies can also die the magnetic death, right? So yeah, true. I I dare not even put mine in. I don't want to know. As long as I never try it, <laughs> yeah. it works. Like Schrodinger's floppy, still just as good as it was back in the eighties. Uh, the floppy is at the same time alive and yeah. dead. Um, we must not forget one thing because um, we got a voicemail. 
Oh, we did get a voicemail. Yes, we mentioned it earlier and uh, we totally forgot about it until now. Until I looked to uh, my left screen and there was a big window with a VSC and voicemail. <laughs> I'll play it. Hello, my name is Marwan. I love the idea of uh, opening voice messages for your listeners. So here I am. I'll be giving it a try. Uh, I played a little bit of Starflight, uh, just a little bit, unfortunately. But uh, from what I've seen, it is quite an impressive game for the time. And uh, actually, I think what I found the most surprising is how accessible it is, uh, mostly the menus with how you navigate around the map, how you have to talk with your different crew uh, to, to play. And uh, despite not having read the manual, I managed uh, with not too much effort to, to just start playing. So yeah, uh, even if the game is uh, indeed quite difficult, uh, when you compare it to the Elite game series for instance, it's uh, quite accessible. Maybe it's because the game is uh, mostly it's mostly in a 2D universe, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I've got a real question for you guys. Uh, so, uh, what do you think is the best race in the game, and why is it the dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to answer? <laughs> well, it's definitely the dinosaurs because they eat the head fruit. Right. <laughs> the end. <laughs> They're the only alien race that actively consumes another alien race that we know of. Yeah. I don't know. No, wait. I guess the bugs have made illusion. The bugs say that the blobs taste icky. So, <laughs> Well, you're the expert. Yeah, some of the dialogue in, in here is really funny. Like, I remember when I was playing, I was playing a little bit earlier today just to fly around and talk to guys and kind of, you know, just further jog my memory. And I remember, like, the bug guys flew away and they said, like, seeing you in a while, alligator, <laughs> which is like, is, you know, the, uh, yeah, you know, seeing a wild crocodile, like, later alligator, like, and I just love how they, you know, chose to kind of, you know, make phrases and make joking stuff. Like, there is a lot of humor in the game. I guess we didn't hmm. really mention that, but, like, there is, you know, a certain amount of humor between uh, the alien races. Like, they say funny things sometimes, kind of break the tension yeah um there was one one particular message from the the gazertoid who are like the octopus people who want to cleanse the universe and all of that stuff where they say i'm gonna try to pronounce these names but they said and blob blob begat or who begat who begat who begat bulger thereby thereby was the begatting begun yeah <laughs> genius <laughs> I see what those science fiction writers were appreciating here. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. I mean, it, it seems like a real um, achievement that this game got made. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, and, and I think they had fun. I mean, despite maybe the game got delayed and maybe working on it for three years was more than they, they thought at first. But I think a lot of love went into this game and they clearly had fun. And, and yeah, that just shines through when you're, when you're playing it, that, it's just tons of fun. So that's that's really cool. And it's cool that it holds up as well, uh, which is very impressive for such an old game. Um, now, I wonder, Tyler, I mean, you've played this when you were very young and you've played it a lot since. But have you played it uh, recently? Have you played it, I mean, before that we played it with Dos Game Club, had you revisited it recently? 
the last time I probably truly revisited Starflight and gave it, you know, a bunch of hours mm-hmm. was probably about five years ago. Right. I'm 37 now. I was probably 32 at the time. I used to do a lot of traveling for work and I would kind of have to live out of hotel rooms mm. for a lot. And like, it was very boring. And uh, there was definitely one time that I just pulled out the Starflight, man. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, going on a space adventure in the Super 8. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here we go. So I guess the game was, uh, I, I guess you remembered a lot about the game when you played it now. Uh, I mean, it hasn't been that long ago. Mm-mm. Well, I always wonder if if it's actually like how you remember it, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, it definitely, when I first started playing it as like a teenager, you know, when I first started going back, when I finally had the brain power to, mm-hmm. you know, start recording numbers and figuring out what's going on. To really understand. Like, <laughs> I certainly remember the combat being more exciting when you're six and you hear those beeps and you see those lasers and those red dots coming at you like that kind of gets your heart going yeah. but yeah when i was like 19 i was like mm, right right yeah <laughs> but uh by then you had probably played some some better action games <laughs> mm-hmm. but then you <laughs> yeah. land on the planet and i'm like ooh, that's just as awesome as i remember it like right so uh i think it's a little give and take but overall i i'd say it's Memory serves well. Hmm, that's cool. And for the other guys, I mean, you don't have any any uh, nostalgic memories of it, but neither have you. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, but I'm. I can't ask myself a question, Florian. So you can <laughs> try it. Well, well, we're we're asking you. What do you think? Well, I I was really impressed, and and I was mainly impressed with the sheer ambition of this game. Because I expected, you know, this this is an old game. This is from 86. Everything is probably uh, very small in scope. And it's very simple, probably. And it wasn't. It, it's just mind-blowingly uh, expansive universe and, and loads of dialogue and different planets, different aliens, lots of stuff going on. I was just impressed by the sheer ambition of this game. And, and clearly, these guys who made this... They didn't think, well, it's only 86, it's it's early days for computing, let's make a small game. They, they didn't think this at all. Quite quite the opposite. So um, so that's what, 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 yeah, that's what really struck me. And yeah, that, that landing animation, man, the 3D thing, holy <laughs> shit. That's, I mean, I think it took a long time b- before other games had this sort of 3D stuff in it. I mean, it's it's not real 3D, I suppose, but... And yeah, it was just an impressive effect. So all the writing, all the content, and then even on top of it, this amazing presentation is really something. So I'm really happy that you uh, that you suggested this because yeah, I had no idea. Well, it's uh, it's been real cathartic to come on here and talk about it. To be honest, like I've had oh. I've had this Starflight conversation in my you know chest for like. 20 years, you know what I mean? And I've, I haven't had anybody to talk about this with. So, like, just getting to sit down with you guys and, like, chat about it has been a real, you know, great experience for me. And I'm real happy. So, yeah. Uh, that's super cool. Yeah, that's mega cool. And that's, that's really what the club is. Yeah, that's the, that's the club. And also for us to hear about people who have these, this, this long lasting love for one game, like, um, like with you or or uh, yeah with the other games we had it's, it's just 
amazing. Mm. Like uh, with with uh, Transactica and and Raphael and um, Andres and and Grand Grand Prix Circuit. It's just amazing to hear those those long lasting laugh stories about video games. Yeah, that's super cool. I do wonder, Richard, um, since you're the only one of us who who beat the whole game, you must have liked it. Otherwise, you you hadn't. Uh... Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's one of those. I mean, I sat down first day to play at the start of the month, and I think I ended up putting about five hours in <laughs> on the first day. Wow! So that's, I don't know. Even even the mining part that you guys didn't like is something kind of compelling about it. Hmm. Not, I couldn't even tell you what it was. Oh, I like the mining. Hmm. It's it seems like it's a sort of game. Where there's always something to sort of reach for. Sort of the next stage. So you're sort of building your crew, or you're talking to aliens, or trekking off on all these little quests all over the universe. It's just just a really fun game. It's and it's kind of friendly to the player. So there's several ways to find the clues. It's not like one of these early RPGs that sort of tries to kill you off at every opportunity. <laughs> and there are a lot of games like that. <laughs> I, well, that's what I was expecting when I started this. Yeah. You know, so it was, I was a bit surprised hmm. by just how easy it was to get into. Yeah, me too. It's surprisingly accessible. That's also reflected in the in the simple control scheme, just the, the few buttons that you have to use. Uh, they could have easily gone crazy and use every single button, yeah, for lots of different things. But I think it's really cool that they kept it simple in that way. I mean, the game is really easy to play, right? Like, we all kind of admit that not that hard to fly around the galaxy and stuff and get the minerals that you need to progress. But at the same time, I still maintain that like this game is difficult. If you were not mm. to go on the internet, you know what I mean? Like there are so many clues to follow, you know, so many things to discover. Like yeah. it is it is not easy. Like just because the gameplay is not really difficult does not mean that navigating the mysteries and solving the puzzle in the time frame allotted is not. Mm. Oh yeah, that's. I think that's something that we didn't even mention is that there's, there's like a hard time limit on completing the plot of this game. Oh yeah, once your solar flare goes off in the the home mm. system, there it's Dunsies. And and there's no um, indication of this as you're playing, right? I mean, you don't have a countdown or anything. They're so. they're kind of. It's... Well, they they do mention it. Okay, because all the all the solar flares are kind of advancing from one side of the map. To the other, ah. and there are a few like uh, st starport messages to that effect. I think correct. So it kind of it kind of explains what's going on, hmm. and especially like I said earlier, with uh, like you find Earth, and then eventually it it goes solar flare too. So right. there's there's a sort of sense of tension hmm. about going through all the clues as fast as you can. It tells you sometimes. When you go into the orbit or when you come into the system, if I recall, like sometimes it'll say like solar flare occurring in 25 Earth days. Yeah. So like mm. they, let you, they let you know that the clock is ticking. Yeah. Okay. So what I kind of always wanted to talk about and that's so interesting is that so the game is not hard to beat, right? To, to beat it, you need a couple artifacts and you need to go to the planet and drop the thing off. And that's basically it. So... In to, and I think this is like a fabulous design. Like I, because there's no real way, mm -hmm. you know, to, to accidentally spoil the game for yourself. There's just too many possibilities for that to really occur. So uh, I don't think it hurts it that it's out there because you really have to solve the mystery. It's hard to just stumble upon the victory. So you just to quick finish my thought. 
with the way games are today, you know, people watching games and like people don't want to solve puzzles as much. And I feel like they get frustrated quicker. Could a game like this be released today just with the prevalency of the Internet and the fact that you could go on? Like, I, all I, I can see some asshole buying the game, looking up the solution online, and then going and railing in the forums, being like, this game is garbage, it's terrible, because all you have to do is these two things. Like, how lame is that? I beat it in 10 minutes. Like, mm. and, and I can see other people just being like, oh, yeah, that sucks. Mm. I guess you, you have such people, but on the other hand, you also have games like The Witness, in which you basically do nothing except solve puzzles um, for many, many hours. And um, yeah, I think people still like solving puzzles, even if it's uh, different kinds of puzzles, puzzles. But I could imagine a game like that being made today, maybe with more modern interface stuff. But except for that, I think the game could sell very well today. I think this game is really, really compatible with the, um, with the streamer culture that there is now. I mean, I can totally imagine going on Twitch and and just streaming you exploring the galaxy and people would would join in and 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 they would you know talk to these aliens with you and they you would laugh at at what would happen and you can share this experience because as you said Tyler I mean you enjoyed this game but you you mostly enjoyed it by yourself and and you couldn't really share this but if you if you were to go on onto Twitch or something like that then you could share it And I think that's actually, well, that's probably how it would be played nowadays. And and this game could work in that way, I think. Yeah, I think uh, people would probably like to see the mystery unfold along with you. I'm, yeah. Honestly, like, I've never streamed and all that, but... Yeah, but we're old. I, I guess I could see it. <laughs> yeah, I was one of those people that was like, man, I can't believe people are really, like, watching other people play video games, like, enough that these people can get played. Like, <laughs> am I that old school that I just want to play the game? Uh, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. What do you think, uh, Josh? Well, you said that playing this game made you want to make a remake, right? Yeah, it really did. Because, I mean, just just to kind of update, like, the the weird UI things, like what you mentioned about the the resource thing, not scrolling how you expect it to, and some of the, I mean, obviously fixing the save system. Hmm. Uh, just a lot <laughs> of think? things like that. But <laughs> just just kind of updating the graphics and the UI, like just a little bit, not going like full AAA 3D, but hmm. just to make it more compatible with what people expect uh, controls in a game to be like. I could see it in a nice 16-bit style graphics. Hmm. Oh, could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there are, I mean, there are some uh, some space exploration games, like modern ones, right? I mean, No Man's Sky was released not that long ago, and uh, Elite Dangerous is, is pretty uh, popular, I think. And uh, there's uh, also the, the, what's it called? Starship Citizen that's in development. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll see if that ever releases. Yeah, I don't, I don't think any of those games really like, have the, the same sort of gameplay system as Starflight, hmm. where it's not really about, uh, kind of like what Tyler was mentioning earlier, how it's not really about you know just blowing up all the alien spaceships and then going and blowing up their homeworld, but it's really like the focus is entirely on like meeting new ships and kind of unraveling a mystery rather than just raw exploring planets for the sake of it. 
but right. really unraveling a huge ancient story. Yeah, yeah, that's the big thing. The big difference between uh, Starflight and those games is they don't have uh, a narration. You know, there's no story going on there. Like you're just flying around trading stuff. Hmm. And honestly, like I played Elite Dangerous. I yeah, I was. I imagine like a lot of other people were like, you go in and man, the ship looks so good and you're smiling so much and you play it for like four hours and then you're just like, man, all I'm doing is delivering goods to and from and then you play it for like a week and fall off. Yeah. But having this kind of gameplay mixed with the story, it's no one else really does that. They just kind of focus on like a space simulation as opposed to like a space simulation as a means of an end to tell a great story. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I suppose the first Mass Effect sort of did that, although it didn't have the the the, the mechanics so much. I mean, yeah, it's it's more it's more a traditional or well, not tradition, but what what's considered traditional open world gaming now, where you just go all over the place. And the fact that it's in space isn't. I want to say that Mass Effect. It does look like a space game, but it plays just like any other open world game, whether it's in space or not. A- apart from maybe the, the the scanning the planet stuff like that. But yeah, I think Mass Effect also, it went more and more into the direction of an action game. And it sort of lost its storytelling part bit by bit over the series. That's the feeling I get. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely got a little more action heavy towards the end. So don't get me wrong, I really liked the first three Mass Effects, the trilogy, so mm-hmm. yeah, I too. got no complaints other than the ending was kind of lame, but the third game itself was stellar. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if I, I guess I guess there's there's space in the indie uh I mean any indie game can be a hit nowadays, right? I mean, there's so many gamers. Well, and, yeah. The if you want to talk about the spiritual successors, this is the one that's bear uh, worth bearing note of. Uh, really, Star Control Two mm-hmm. was still released like in the '90s, but like it's obviously extremely heavily, uh, yeah, influenced by Starflight and Star. Uh, and you can say that Star Control Two kind of carries more notoriety than Starflight. You know, I think more people are like Star Control Two is amazing. Mm-hmm. As opposed to Starflight, because it's just you know released later, more popular. But Star Control Two is getting a reboot that oh. is coming out in a couple months, oh. and it's being developed by Stardock, uh, as the huh. publisher, and they're from Michigan, in my home state here. Oh. So I think that's cool, even though I live in Louisiana now, but I still got Michigan pride. Ah, wow, that's really I didn't know that. I mean. I I did know that Star Control 2 was really this this it had a lot of internet fame, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, I had no idea they were making a reboot. So that's really cool. Yep, so it's not quite indie, hmm. but uh at the same time this is not like a, you know, AAA developer guy. Uh Exactly. Stardock publishes mainly like RTSs and stuff like that, Sins hmm. of the Solar Empire. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's on my list. I know I'm going to get it as soon as it comes out. I'm getting it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this this sounds really interesting. Um, is there something we haven't talked about that we really should mention about Starflight itself? No, I don't think so. I mean, we've covered a lot, didn't we? Yeah, maybe a small update. Um, Sorceress, our club member Sorceress, uh, has a hypothesis why the game sold so well after its release, and hmm. that is that Star Trek uh, Next Generation started airing in '87 as well. Oh. So maybe. That helped. Sure. Yeah. 
Oh, I can totally see that. I know if, I mean, I was a little kid there, but I know if I was a teenager, you know, and I was watching Star Trek and then saw that game on the shelf, you know, you'd yeah. be instantly attracted to it. That is a very good yeah. point. I think it makes sense. Definitely. Cool. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's that's Starflight then. Uh, thank you a lot, Tyler, for introducing it to us. And, and thanks. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. No problem. Um, now let's, let's talk a little bit just about what's going on. Uh, right, Florian? Of course, as always. Yeah. So, uh, the first thing on my list here is, uh, to mention the fact that we accept voice messages now. Right. So far, so far we've only gotten them from people who have been on the show before anyways, (laughs) which is cool, but it would be even cooler if we got messages from people we don't know yet. Right. So, if you have something to say about the next few games, send us your voice messages. Definitely. And where can they send it to? Um, to some undisclosed uh, email address that I did not prepare to look up. What's, what is it? <laughs> it's um, club info? at dosgameclub.com. <laughs> club. <laughs> <laughs> look, you, you did your homework. <laughs> I didn't. You literally set up the email account, Florian. <laughs> yes, but that, that was like more than a few days okay, ago, okay, so okay, I forgot. Okay, okay. Come on, give me some slack. <laughs> Okay, so send your voice message to club at dosgameclub.com and uh, we'll include it in the show and we'll talk about it. So, yeah, do that. Um, Now, what's going on right now is that uh, we are playing Death Rally, which has been suggested by DOS Game Club member M2Tios. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's about halfway through May now, so we've been playing it for a while and there are some good threads on the forum already. So uh, you can read those, and if you want to join, then please register an account on our website, dosgameclub.com, and you can dive right in. Um, I think it's a pretty cool game, and it's, it's, uh, it's quite accessible as well. It's a, it's a top-down racer where you can upgrade your, uh, your car and stuff, and it has shooting as well. So, And I think Richard beat the whole game in four hours, something like that? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> You do mean this. If I am on next month, it means I won't remember a thing about it by the time we record. <laughs> but if it takes only four hours, you can play it right before the um, episode recording. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. Um, so that's what's going on now. Uh, now, um, <clears throat> next month in June, we will be playing uh, Tyrion, which is a, uh, a vertical shooter. We, uh, we ran a poll on Twitter because we had not covered a vertical shooter uh, so far in the DOS Game Club. So we had a uh, we ran a poll with four popular uh, DOS shooters on them. Um, Raptor was on there, which got a lot of votes, but in the end, Tyrion won. So uh, yeah, that's the one we'll play. It's by Epic Mega Games, I think, released mid '90s somewhere. So uh, yeah, that should be tons of fun. Um, now for July, um, we actually. Well, what's really going on is that we don't know yet what we'll be playing in July, but we plan to run a another poll on Twitter. Um, basically, I've suggested that we play California games, which should be fun, uh, which is this collection of games. And Florian would really like to play, I think, Warcraft, right? Warcraft or Z or Z, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, hmm. Oh, the uh, game that's just Z? It's yeah. yeah. Z. Pronounced the Z. Okay. The English alphabet. There are so many variants. Who knows it? Um, I am familiar with all these games. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to play that one again. 
Yeah, it's it's an RTS, right? Yeah, it, that, that's an RTS, basically. Yeah, and then indeed we've also looked at the, the game suggestion forums and we've picked uh, an adventure game, I think. Um, normality, we're, we're, we're on the fence between Normality or Leisure Suit Larry. Ooh. So one of those will be on My the My vote goes for Leisure Suit Larry. Maybe maybe we can make it a two-stage vote. First, we will vote for um, those four games we have now. And in two of these, we have actually two games. And then if one of those, but we haven't made up our mind yet, wins, then we will have like a second vote. Uh, that seems complicated, but okay. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, Does, yeah, and then the final... You will understand it when you see it. Yeah, and then the final game on the poll will be uh, Prince of Persia, which is also from our uh, suggestion forum. So I think... Any four of those, or well, six actually, but yeah, any of those is are they're all great games. So uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, one of them will win, and then one of these great games will play in July. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, meanwhile, you can join us over on our website dosgameclub.com. Um, we also have a IRC uh, web chat thing channel. Uh, it's pretty active, so yeah, you can join that. And if you don't know how to work IRC, we've got also a uh, web thing on our website where you can just join through that. So yeah, really easy. Um, we're also on Twitter, where we are called DOS Game Club as well. Uh, and finally, if you are listening to this uh, through a podcast app, such as iTunes or Stitcher or anything then we would really appreciate it if you would leave a review because that helps to uh, make the show more aware to more people. So, uh, And we also really just like to read them. So, yeah. That's it, I think. Um, thanks for being here. Mia, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And, and thanks for listening. Bye. 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 All right, guys. Here's a short follow-up to the podcast. So the recording session for this episode was already a while ago and in the meantime the poll for our July game has ended. We had 98 votes in total, which I think is amazing, so thanks to everyone who helped us find the next game. In the beginning it looked like California Games would have a landslide victory, possibly because Martin heavily endorsed it. And it looked like Prince of Persia would come in last. Then Warcraft got a lot of traction and it wasn't elite for quite some time. But then weird things happened and in the end California Games was last with only 20% of the votes. Larry has been the third place for most of the time and also ended there with 24%. Finally Prince of Persia overtook all other games and won the poll with 30% of the votes. That leaves only 26% for Warcraft. These results are all pretty close together, I think those are all quality games. But obviously we can only play one and that's going to be Prince of Persia. So that's it for now, I hope you enjoyed the episode and until next month, bye again. Just, just, just.